if you have your Bible, uh, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. This is probably, uh, this is, if anybody asks me, kind of a life verse, uh, kind of a a scripture that I hold dearest to my heart, it's almost always Philippians chapter 2. It's actually, I I think it's harder to preach your favorite uh, passages, and so bear with me today. Uh, But I, I really think that the importance of this and how it states the gospel can't be overstated. Uh, I won't, like I mentioned, I won't be with you next week. We're going to have our uh, faith promise. I hate to miss the missionary, but I hope you can make it. Uh, but then uh, after, when I come back, we're going to start our summer series. I know you've been on the edge of your seats uh, wondering what our summer series is going to be about. Well, we're going to go through the Ten Commandments. Uh, so we're going to take ten weeks and go through the Ten Commandments. Uh, I hope it'll be a great time for us. I'm excited about it. I've been studying, uh, so look forward to that. But we'll finish up Philippians today. Philippians chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 11. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you not look to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. Being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth, that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I was talking with a friend just a few days ago where he was talking about his job and what he did for a living, and he just kind of mentioned to me, he said, you know, I got in this to change the world, but I don't know if it's going to happen. The idea to change the world is really, I think, popular in our day and time. Um, I'm going to argue that's probably been popular. The idea to change the world, our desire to change the world has been popular in daytime. But I think maybe in in my culture and what we call the millennial generation and and other generations, but in mine, it's something unique. We've kind of been raised the idea that we can change the world. Um, And there's just some practical realities that because we've seen uh, men and women uh, from very humble origins go in their garage, put a few microchips together, and boom, you have the internet or, or Facebook, and literally the world has changed in a matter of years of time 
from their inventions and different things. That you don't have to be high-born, you don't have to be wealthy anymore like generations past to really impact the world in powerful ways. Anybody can do it, and we have access to it in the kind of the global economy in powerful ways. I was thinking of uh, one of those that has done that, Bill Gates. Did you know Bill Gates was a college dropout? Uh, he dropped out of Harvard, of all places. Uh, he dropped out, and uh, he went, and, and one of his professors had really realized his genius. And uh, his professor was so concerned that he was dropping out of college. They were, they were losing one of their best students. He went to him and said, you know, what are you doing? And Bill Gates just said, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to go write some uh, software for microprocessors. Me and a buddy are just going to go out west and do that. And his professor just thought to himself, boy, what a waste of talent. That kid's flushing down the drain. Little did he know he'd become the richest man in the world and really changed the course of technology for the future generations. Um, we think about Bill Gates and others that, that have, in some sense, changed the world. Um, but it's a popular thing to change the world. We, we all, in some sense, have a desire, or maybe at one point in our life had a desire to change the world. And at first, I want to say that this is actually a good thing, right? Um, that really what I believe about creation and how God created us, he created human beings in his likeness to help steward the world. That we were to be partners with God and, and represent God on earth to have uh, rule and stewardship over all of creation, all of, all, all of the entire world. That's why God placed us here, that we were to be partnered with him. So in some sense, we were created to rule as God would rule. We were created to shape and form and more mold the world as God saw fit. So some of this idea to change the world, this desire, I believe is a God-given innateness in what it means to be human, right? But you can see there's probably a, a problem coming up with that. But also the problem in our story of creation and how humans were created, we believe, is that we went awry that we rejected God and we, we said no to God and we wanted to be our own masters. We wanted to rule the world in our own way, right? We didn't want to have anybody over us. We call this sin. Uh, we use a, the term in, in church, a fancy term called original sin. But the problem is when we have original sin and people are still trying to change the world, we try to impact change, we try to mold our communities and our families and our lives however we want, to serve ourselves, to please ourselves into our own image and what we think. And we see this cycle over and over again in history, do we not? That yes, the world has changed many, many times in many different ways, but has it gotten better? Have things really changed or is it just the same story with a new skin? The same story of really what I want to say is selfishness, self-serving, the powerful succeed, and the lowly just kind of get walked on, right? It's the same old story. Um, it was the same old story in Jesus' time. The Roman Empire was probably the, one of the first most successful empires to really change the world, and Jesus came up against that. They, they changed the world in radical ways that still our thinking is affected by that Roman Empire and Western culture. Uh, but they did change the world. Was it for the better? No. Uh, they, they tried to promote peace through violence, and they would kill you at the drop of a hat if you stood against them. Uh, it was a violent power that they changed the world through. But time and time again, whether it's politically or economically, uh, 
movements come and go, but what I'm trying to say is I don't know if anything really changes. We can think of in the 20th century, uh, one of the biggest movements to try to change the world and really seemed like a very novel way was communism. And uh, if you look at just kind of some of the thought processes behind communism, they're not all that bad. Uh, equality, people living modestly, uh, no hierarchy, working for the common good. You could even say some of those are very Christian values, working for your neighbor in common good. But how did it play out, that change? People suffered in unimaginable ways. Tyranny took hold. Again, it was kind of the same old story with a, a different veneer. Some would say capitalism has changed the world uh, most powerfully in the last uh, two centuries or so. And that probably is. Capitalism has afforded the most wealth for the most people in history, right? Um, but capitalism even, as much as it has helped many, it still plays off our fallen nature, does it not? Uh, that it still plays off our greed, our, our self-serving, that you can get ahead if you serve yourself before all else. Why am I talking about these movements trying to change the world? So what I want to say is all of the movements that we've seen throughout history and in, in our current time to change the world, if we're not careful, it'll be the same old story in a new skin. Because we have an innate problem in humanity called sin, original sin. And this is defined really just uh, as what I want to call an inward bent. A lot of times we've said this original sin comes out in pride. As someone's too prideful, they, they focus only on themselves. They think they're better than everybody. And hopefully you can start seeing connections to the text already. But sometimes original sin uh, comes out in shame. Uh, for some of us, we don't have very much pride. And, and we think, oh, original sin, may, does that even apply to me? For some of us, it's shame that we're not good enough. We don't believe we're worthy of anything. That's still original sin. That is still our brokenness in us. And it leads us still to focus in on ourselves. So original sin, I want to say, is an inward bent that we are focused on pleasing and serving and protecting or even just feeling sorry for ourselves. But our scripture this morning, where I'm coming to is that the scripture is the secret. Not that it's not a secret. It is the way that the world has truly changed and it is the only way that we can truly change our lives, our families' lives, and really ultimately the world. That what Paul is writing to the church in Philippians right, is, is simply the power of the gospel. He writes it in such a beautiful way that, that we can see how it impacts our lives, how it can create real, lasting change. Change that God desires to see in our lives and in the world. So let's look at the text and see what this change may mean for us. We, we looked at Philippians chapter 1 last week and we talked about there seems to be some sort of controversy, uh, some sort of division uh, in, in the church in Philippi. We're not sure exactly what it is. Um, and, and Paul, he loves the Philippians. It's obviously very near and dear to his heart. It's a very loving letter. Uh, but even in chapter 4, verse 2, he kind of says, uh, to, I can't say their names, they're kind of weird Greek names. Uh, he says, ladies, let, there's two leaders in the church that were ladies, also Mother's Day, leaders in the church, ladies, the first church, amen. Um, he said, hey, you guys need to be of, same one, one, of one mind. You need to be of the same mind and full accord, don't be divided. So obviously there was kind of a division in the church that Paul is addressing 
Um, and, and really, I'd say, we we're talking about in the global uh, changing the world, but what is division, even in the church? It's people trying to change the church, right? I have my idea, you have your idea, let's see which one wins. Uh, I think I know how to do this better than you. You know, change and division in the church, that's really what we're talking about in division, right? And that's what Paul is addressing here. Um, and really in the church, we can have this inward bent that we're talking about sometimes. Um, you know, pastors are guilty of it. And the pastor that's uh, in the ministry just for him or herself or herself, uh, church leaders that are just trying to find people to serve them, Sometimes entire churches, they don't care about those around them. They, a church can have an inward bend if it's just concerned about itself. So Paul writes this atmosphere of division to them. And here's what they, he tells them. Uh, he, he gives them the first four verses, and I, I want to actually leave those till last. But he's basically saying, you need to live like this. This is the answer to your problem. Live like this. Um, but then he gives them a reason. So I want to look at the reason that Paul says live like this first, right? Um, and the first thing he says, here's the reason. This is what he tells them. Let the same mind be in you that is in Christ Jesus. How does that work? That sounds a little weird if we're not used to it. Let the same mind be in me that was in Christ Jesus. What does he mean by mind? Mind here is just a, an attitude, a, a orientation of the self, um, a disposition within you, Right? Um, it kind of sums up your entire interior disposition towards the world and others. But I, I like the word mind. It, it works here. Let the same mind, let the same attitude be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And here's the reason. Because Christ, this man, uh, came to us. And even though he had all of the rights even though he was fully equal with God. He was God. Let's just stop there. Jesus is and was forever God, co-eternal with the Father. He had full rights. He created everything that there was. He had all the power, all the glory. The eternal, infinite, unimaginable God. But even though he had a full rights and equality with God, he didn't use that he didn't see to exploit it for his own good worth. He didn't, he didn't claim to his rights. He didn't stick to rights. He could have. He could have came down to the earth and said, bow down to me. I'm the eternal God forever and ever. But he didn't. He didn't exploit his rights even though he had every right to. Instead, he what? He emptied himself. The Greek word there is kenosis. He basically gave all of that up. He emptied himself, not of necessarily his divinity, but he, he emptied himself all of the rights that came along with his divinity. He emptied all of that and took on human likeness. Basically, he became human. He gave up all the, the, the blessings and, and the worth that was attributed to his divine status, and he gave that up and became like you and I in the fullness and not pretend. And this would have been unheard of in Paul's day. There were some Greek mythologies about Zeus maybe coming down for a day in human likeness and tricking people and playing tricks on folks. That's not what we're talking about. Jesus became human in its fullness, meaning birth, life, and even death. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, that would have been unheard of for Paul's audience, the true God becoming truly human um, because 
That's a heavy demotion, right? That is a truly kenosis. That's a truly emptying of the divine. Um, and it would have been really kind of humiliating in their idea. Paul says it's not even just that, though. He didn't just empty himself. That when he came and he was embodied in human form, he came to be a servant. He came to be, he even uses the strong language, he came to become a slave. That God gets one lifetime. God becomes flesh. He takes on human form. And he doesn't come to sit on a throne. He doesn't even come just to be thought of as wise or powerful. God comes to serve, to become a slave. What type of God is this? Some of them may have been asking. And not only did he become a slave and serve those around them, he gave his life for us, that he did not even seek to protect his life. He didn't seek his own interests. He didn't seek to preserve his life or, or his power, but he gave it all up, even becoming obedient to death on a cross. Do you hear? I, ho- I hope this sounds a little crazy to you. I know we, we sit in church most of us, most Sundays and different things, and we kind of lose the impact of this, but I, we struggle with this. We've never even, you know, been a powerful person in our lives, and we still seek to preserve our lives and serve ourselves. And yet God was in the flesh and did none of that. He came to serve and give his life. But Paul says that's not it. That's not the end of the story. Therefore, God gave him a name that is above every name, a name that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord both in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Everyone, in the end, was going to recognize that Jesus Christ is Lord of all because God has highly exalted him. Here's what I don't want you to think about that, right? Because this has really big import into our spiritual lives. This wasn't, this, Paul's not saying here that Jesus was just playing pretend just so he could get the big seat, right? Jesus already had the big seat. <laughs> uh, this wasn't just a, well, I gotta do this because this is, what God kind of wants me to do, but then it'll be over real quick and I'll be okay, right? What Paul is saying is Jesus revealed fully who God is. That coming to serve and give of his life, that's who God is, period, right? He revealed God fully to us in his life. But here's the good news. For the first time in history, think about history, Think about who's in power. Think about who's sitting on the thrones. For the first time in history, this is real change. It's the one who came to serve. It's the one who didn't seek to please and serve himself. It's the one who gave up everything out of love for you and me. It's that one that has all the power. Do you hear how radically different that is than every story in human history? That Christ, the good news of the gospel is it is the very God who loves us so much that he will give up everything for us. The good news is that's the God who is in control of heaven and earth and under the earth. He is, the good news is that he is the one seated on the throne. It's not the one that came to serve himself, but to give of himself. That is the good news of the gospel that Paul is sharing with them. But here's Paul's point. The reason he he gives us this beautiful hymn, we call it the Christ hymn, the kenosis passage. 
because it describes eloquently Jesus' incarnation. Basically what Paul is saying, if Jesus did that, if he was God and he did that for you, how do you think you should live? Do you think you're better than Jesus? You're better than the eternal God that you get to live another way? Here's what Paul says. Hey, if you've, I'm paraphrasing here. Excuse my paraphrase. Hey, if you've benefited at all from Jesus, if you've received any love, if you've gotten any compassion, any grace, any forgiveness from the gospel, and he's kind of doing that tongue-in-cheek, talking to a church saying, you have. You're recipients of God's love and forgiveness. Therefore, you need to live like this. Therefore, here is your response to God's grace and your love. And really, here's the thing. He doesn't, th- what he means is this isn't optional. That you don't get to participate in the gospel and then get to live your own way seeking to please and serve yourself When we become recipients of the good news of the gospel, God's grace and forgiveness and love, we turn our eyes to Jesus to see how we must live. And that's what Paul tells his church. He says, here's what it looks like practically. Um, First of all, don't do anything from selfish ambition. You hear the change? That's what motivates most of the world, selfish ambition and conceit. I'm worried about my reputation. I'm worried about my success. I'm worried about my health. I'm worried about my wealth. And that's what drives, that's the engine that drives the world. And here Paul says, if you've received the gospel, you can't live like that. That can no longer be your motivation. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Uh, Paul goes goes on to say, uh, don't do anything from conceit, but in humility, regard yourself as others as better than yourselves. Let me say a word about that because that, that, taken the wrong way, can go into dangerous territory. This isn't, this isn't saying that you should belittle yourself, that you should just think you're no good. Um, really, what, this is just frank advice that it's, it's actually an easier way to live. You know, I, I'm 30. I'm getting older. Um, I've noticed at age 30, this is in my, all my wise years. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that came out wrong. Uh, but what I've noticed in my observation at age 30 is that this is about the age where my friend circle from college, and uh, I hated high school, so I don't, I don't pay attention to this, but college, my friends from college, right, uh, we're, we're starting to diverge in our life setting, right? Before, when you're 20, everyone's broke. No one has a dime to their names, right? Everyone drives a beat-up car, you know, just what you're doing at 20. Even 25, I mean, most people are still like trying to pay off student loans and living in a shack, you know. At 25, I was living in a travel trailer. You know, it's just life. But about 30, some people bought a house. Some people own two houses. Some people have started a family, gotten married. Some people haven't. What I'm saying is that age 30, this kind of fraction begins that we're, some of my friends, I look around, we're in very different life circles. And it's really easy when your peers and your friends to look at somebody and say, really to just be jealous. Boy, I wish I was doing that good. How did they get that job that quick? I've been, you know, it's just kind of this natural comparing. It's a comparison trap. That's one of my favorite phrases from another pastor. 
And here's what Paul says is, don't play into the comparison trap. The easiest way to live is to really say, you know what, good for them. They deserve it. They probably worked harder than me. And really, this is just a safeguard on our spirituality. It's not saying demean yourself at all. No, you're a child of God, but don't give in to this game of comparing yourself to others, thinking I'm better than them. I'm better at my job. I'm smarter than them. How do they get that? That's, that's death to spirituality. That's envy. And that's a horrible way to live. Paul's just saying, you know what? Think of others as better than yourselves. It's a lot easier to live that way. Amen. You're not worried about what people are getting and who gets what's deserved. Let, just be happy with people succeeding. Grace upon grace, good for them. They deserve it. Otherwise, you'll live a little life trapped by envy and desire. So Paul says, think of others better than yourselves. Uh, don't take that the wrong way, but it is an important piece of spiritual uh, teaching. Let, he goes on to say, let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Again, that's a reversal of everything that the world instills in us, uh, that just to protect ourselves, look at what you desire, what you want. And Paul said, you can't do that if you're a recipient of the gospel. Hear me. If you've received any love or compassion or grace from Jesus Christ, look to the interests of others, not to yourself. This happens at an early age. I noticed this with Desmond um, already, six months old, right? Uh, and we just started feeding him physical food, like uh, I was feeding him uh, some avocado, and we noticed this. And boy, if I did not get that spoon up there fast enough, he was already squealing at me, right? And it was not a cute, happy squeal. It was, hey, old man, start shoveling, right? You know, it, it was an angry squeal. And this is, this is how we're raised. This is how we're born, looking to our own interests from a very early age, self-absorbed. And here Paul says, this is the change that has to happen in you. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who did not come looking out for his own interest, but came and cared for the interest of you. Do you see how that's a radical change? It's a powerful change in our lives. On this Mother's Day, I just want to kind of point out, and I really want to just talk to us guys and us husbands and fathers to say, a lot of times we've put this on mothers almost exclusively, right? We, we laugh the funny video. A lot of times we've just in our society put women and put mothers and say, you know what, you just have, don't look at your own interests, look at the interests of everybody else. And we kind of commend that while sometimes we as partners, as men, don't live that way. And we just think, oh, that's what a mother does, but necessarily not what a father does. I hope I'm not stepping on too many toes here, but I've seen it time and time again. Do you notice what Paul's saying here? This has really nothing to do with what your gender is. If you are a human and you have accepted the gospel, if you have received any love or grace or forgiveness from Jesus Christ, this is to be the mind that was in you. If God came not looking to his own interests, then who are you to look to your own interests and live for yourself, right? Um. I just want to say sometimes we've, in our culture, we've defined manliness as people serving us. If your manliness is derived from people serving you, your manliness is sinful. Hear me. Uh, mothers have shown us the way in, in powerful ways. They have re revealed the gospel to us. They have laid down their interests in so many powerful ways, and that's what we celebrate to all. But I want to tell you, it's not just for women. It is for all of us. We need to hear that this morning. 
Look to your, not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Uh, I really, uh, as we were looking at this scripture, I got, I got into ministry because in some way I wanted to change the world. But it's because I believe that the only way to change the world is the gospel. That otherwise we're going to be going through the same old story. And I got into ministry because uh, not just the, to preach, not just to tell the world, right? Because what I really believe is that the way God has sought to change the world, and I believe that's God's mission too. What did Jesus say? I came not to condemn the world, but to save it. Sounds like saving the world, right? Um, the way God has done this, he's always chosen a people. He's chosen a people. God's never done it alone. He, he chose Israel. And what did he say? You're going to be my people. And what it meant to be God's people was to be his holy people, right? And what we believe what happened in Jesus Christ is that he came and he created the church to be God's people, that we always have struggled to be God's holy people. And where, where this connects is really, you've heard me say this before, what we mean by holiness, we're a holiness church. If you didn't know that, we're Wesleyan holiness, we're a holiness church. What that means though, what holy means, I know this is going to be really technical. It means different. Yeah, it's pretty simple, right? And when we call God holy, Really, what we're saying is that he's different. God is different than anything in the world. God is different than any of our expectations. God is different. He's holy, and he calls us to be holy. Basically, to be God's holy people, God's chosen people to redeem the world, to change the world through the power of the gospel. But he calls that he needs us to be holy. And really, all that means is he needs us to be different like God is different, that we would represent how this God is different in the world. So what does it mean to be a holiness people? Here's what I want to say to us today, really what that means, and sometimes we've got it wrong, we have, even as the church in the Nazarene, really what that means is what Paul is writing right here, that the life of holiness, what God wants to change in all of us and in the world today is quite simply summed up in the phrase, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Right? Let the same mind be in you that is. What holiness derived is, what we say is Christ-likeness. The, the, the change that God wants to reflect in us, it's not about what you wear. It's not about what you don't do. The change that God wants to make in us, to make us in the image of his son, is to really change our mind. Max, can I pick on you a little bit? We don't often think about sanctification like this. Sanctification, for those of us not used to church language, is really just how we become holy people, right? It's God's shaping and, and moving us. And what God simply wants to come to do, that process, what it looks like, he, he comes to you and says, Max, I want to change your mind. I want to change your attitude, your disposition, the way you look at the world, the way you see you're safe. I want to give you the mind of Christ, God says. I want to give you the same attitude, the same perspective that Jesus Christ had. And that's what the process of sanctification in Max's life, that God comes to him throughout his life, 
day after day and offers him the grace to change his mind. That Max would really believe, really believe, not just pretend, that to, to be last really is better. That Max would really believe that to really be great, then you serve. That God would come in his grace in Max's life and change his mind in such a way that even he would know that to die is really gain, even though it's scary. That this wouldn't just be rules that Max would try to follow. This would be Max's mind. This is how he would see the world. Holiness is never about following rules. It's about an interior change that the Holy Spirit brings in us. And here's what I want to say to all of us as a holiness preacher. This is what we've kind of said as a church of the Nazarene. And I think what Paul is saying here, the holiness and sanctification, it's not, it's not just for those Nazarenes. It's not just the bonus round for people that want extra jewels in their crown. You know what I mean? It's kind of, I'm, I'm being a little facetious here. Jesus Christ said, be holy as your heavenly Father is holy. Be different as your heavenly Father is different. That if we want to be recipients of the gospel in any shape, way, or form, that we need to live as Paul's writing here. That we need to have that same change in us. We need to have the same mind be in us that was in Christ Jesus. That's what holiness looks like and nothing else. That if we simply have the same attitude in the mind to seek to serve and not to live in selfishness, but we get to serve and love others and give of our own desires and give way to others, that is what truly God's change in our lives looks like. Am I making sense? I, I hope this is a little simpler than sometimes we've talked about holiness and sanctification. Um, I'm, I'm about to ask you that if you made the decision, but I really believe that, you know, some of us probably get in, in uh, a place in our life where we believe in Jesus um, and we want to go to heaven, and that's great. But we Nazarenes have always kind of been the voice to say, you, if you're a recipient of the gospel, if you're going to receive God's grace through Jesus Christ, then you can't just sit on the sidelines and just go about your life. You have to pursue this life of holiness. You have to pursue, and all that we mean by that is what Paul just wrote in Philippians chapter 2. It's not complicated. We're not going to give you a list of rules. God's not going to. God simply wants to change you to receive the mind of Christ receive that same attitude to this position. It's not a list of rules to follow. This really becomes who you are, right? And it's a change. I think it's a change that happens in powerful ways very soon when we give ourselves over to God, but it's also a change that's ongoing throughout our life, right? So if, you know, you catch me not serving like I should, I'll be ready to repent and say, God's grace mold and shape me. I can't, I can't say that I do this perfectly, the other night, I caught myself. Uh, Rebecca was about to put Desmond down, and I kind of got a sniff and realized he had a dirt, dirty diaper. And I thought to myself, oh, I'll just let her change that. <laughs> she doesn't know that I know, so I'll just... 
pretty funny. And you know what? I stopped myself. And I don't do this all the time, so I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. But I felt a little convicted. I said, how would I want her to do for me? Right? How should I serve her? And so that time I did go and change it. I didn't refuse the convicting. I shouldn't, right? God's great. I believe that's a sign of God's grace working in our lives. That's the same mind being put in us that is in Christ Jesus. Um, so let me ask you, have you... It's quite simple how this process happens. We simply, what we've said in the Church of the Nazarene, we've kind of used that phrase that we need to die to ourselves. And I actually think that's a a good phrase. Quite simply, what we say is that we just give up all of our selfishness. We we, we give God our entire life. We simply come to God and say, God, I want to be a recipient of the gospel. I want to receive your grace and your forgiveness and your love. I want to have eternal life. I want to be in your kingdom. But to do that, I have to give God everything. I have to give him my hopes and my dreams. I have to give him my family, my future, my past. I have to lay it all on the altar. Everything I want myself and seeking to serve myself, I have to give up on it. And then, it seems like a lot. That, that sounds like it's asking a lot. But you know what you will receive in return? The mind of Christ. And that's beyond anything you've ever had or dreamt of having. Uh, What you receive in the end really is life. Eternal life, but life right here and right now. That you are freed from the bondages of sin and the pain that that brings. And your life and your family's life, and I believe the world through you can and will be changed. If God had a people that were willing to live and be different like he is different, the world will change in a heartbeat. Have you made that decision in your life? I'm not asking if only you believe, but are you willing to lay it all on the altar, to give your life over to God in a powerful way? Give it all up in order to receive the same mind that was in Christ Jesus. That's simply what we mean by a life of holiness and sanctification. Um, Rebecca lived in a a Christian community house, and uh, I got to visit it uh, once, and they had a sign hanging over the kitchen sink. It said, everybody wants to change the world, but no one wants to do the dishes. It's true, isn't it? It's true. That's what we're talking about today. That in our youth, in my youth, all of our ideas of changing the world were really more about me and how I saw fit and the ways I would do that. But God comes to us and says, if you really want to change your life, if you really want to change the world, then you have to give up on yourself. Because the story, the gospel message is that 2,000 years ago, the world did change in a powerful way. 2,000 years ago, there was one who came and didn't seek to serve himself, didn't come to seek power or control or dominance, instead gave of his life, humbled himself, took the form of a slave, and even died a humiliating death. And the change is that one now sits on the throne. That is what power and holiness looks like. 
So if this is a part of the change you want to be a part of, I invite you simply to receive the mind of Christ. Not only is it the only way to change the world, it is the only way to enter the kingdom of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, in these moments, I pray that your spirit would speak to us. May we humble ourselves now. May we see ourselves clearly. And may we open ourselves uh, to your grace and your love and your forgiveness. And may we be willing to give you all, everything, to die to ourselves in order that we may live. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. In these moments, as we prepare our hearts for communion and we respond to God's word, I, I simply want us to enter in time of prayer. Um, I believe that there may be someone here that hasn't made that decision to give everything over to God. Right now is a great time to make that decision. You may need to think about what that means in your life, uh, but I, I think God is here speaking to all of us. If you have made the decision, if you're what we term in the Nazarene church entirely sanctified, can I tell you the journey's not over, that God still wants to shape and mold you, that we are still receiving and growing into the mind of Christ, all of us. And I think God would want to speak to us in these moments. But I know what it looks like. I know it looks like Jesus Christ in our lives, serving, caring for the interests of others, humbling ourselves and loving one another. So as our servers come down, I, the time of communion is a perfect time because we were reminded that we are recipients of the gospel only because Jesus gave of his body and his broken, his broken body and his blood shed for us. These are the emblems of the grace that we have received. And we take communion because we, we believe that God's grace comes to us in this moment. And this is the grace that we need to sustain the journey of sanctification. So as you come down, whatever, wherever you're at, all that we ask is you have made a decision to follow Jesus and come partake of the bread, partake of the cup. You don't have to be a member of our church. But as you do, I'd just simply like you to think about we are remembering and celebrating that God came in the flesh he came in a body and he gave it for you. And then just ask God, how then should I live in response of that grace? On the night our Lord is betrayed, he took bread and having broke it, he gave thanks and said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood shed for you. Take and drink whenever you do in remembrance of me. Come when you're ready to receive the grace of God. Let us continue in a time of prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful. We cannot sing enough. We cannot shout enough. We cannot pray enough how good uh, your grace and your mercy are, that you would come and take on our pain and our frailty and our suffering, that you would come 
And only because you love us, you would humble yourself and empty yourself on our behalf. That the God of the universe, the infinite God, unimaginable, would come even to serve us. We are overcome. And I pray that each one gathered here would never lose sight of that power. That that, that would never grow old for us. But day in and day out, we return to the truth of what we have received in Jesus, what we are able to receive in you, all that you have done for us. And I pray that we would be recipients of your grace and your forgiveness now, that we would seek to follow you, that we would trust and believe in you, Lord. But I also pray that each and every one of us would seek to die to ourselves, and have the same mind in us that was in your Son. So may your Spirit speak to us and con- uh, just continually uh, speak to us in the days and the weeks and the months to come of what this looks like in our lives. Empower us, strengthen us, guide us, help us as a church to do this, uh, help us to model this, help us to serve one another, uh, and help us to be of one Love in the same mind, Lord, in Christ Jesus. Uh, may your peace be upon us as we seek to serve you and to serve others, Lord. And we lift up those who are hurting or struggling today. We think of those who are mourning. And we pray for uh, the Bogan and Wilson family, especially Maria, Lord. Would your spirit of comfort and peace be upon her and the rest of the family. Would you uh, be with those who are struggling on Mother's Day, uh, missing their mother's, those who may have difficulties on this day for personal reasons, Lord, would your strength be upon us? We thank you uh, for the mothers in our lives. Each and every one of us came into this world born of a woman. We thank you for the ways they have showed your love and your servanthood to us. May you bless them. Be with those who are physically hurting or have cancer diagnosis, Lord, in the family or friends, would your hands be upon them? Those who are dealing with chronic pain, um, would you relieve their burden of suffering, Lord? Give them strength to continue on. We lift up Brother Vince as he goes into knee surgery this week. Be with him. Be with our worship team and John and Martha Sue. Help their uh, wrists to, to heal quickly. We put our mind, body, and soul in your care, Lord, and so we lift up our ailments to you. Would you be with this church as we seek to serve our community and show the love of Christ wherever we can? Bless our preschool ministry and the recovery groups that meet here on a weekly basis, the food pantry, Lord. Uh, Just increase our ministry outreach. Would you give us new ways to show your love and your uh, grace and your service? Um, Would we be your holy people? May we be different as you are different. May we partner with you to change the world as you see fit, Lord, but only as we seek to follow Christ and serve one another. We lift up uh, Christians all around the world that are suffering today, that are laying their lives on the line for their witness to Jesus. Uh, Be with uh, the church globally and the church Nazarene and our missionaries all around the world. Bless them, guide them, Lord. Uh, We thank you that we're a global denomination uh, and we just pray for our service next week, a faith promise that we would be faithful to contribute and support the advancement of your kingdom. 
Uh, be with our district superintendent, Greg Mason, Lord. Uh, bless him for his service in your kingdom. We lift up our local and our state and our national leaders. May you give them wisdom and grace to carry out their duties. And may we uh, treat other nations rightly and promote peace and justice wherever we can. Lord, we love you so much. Um, may we never hold on to ourselves, but may we lay down our lives so that we may receive eternal life. Help us to pray as you taught us, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Church family, would you stand with me? Thank you to all the mothers uh, with us. Thank you. Uh, we are thankful for all the mothers that have raised us, each and every one of us. Yeah. Now receive this benediction. May you die to yourself and in return receive the mind of Christ. May you change the world, but only as you serve and humble and seek the interests of others around you. May we always have the mind of Jesus Christ in us.